<clears throat> sorry, but uh, not just the fact that I didn't have my hearing aids today, but the uh, wonderful allergy season is upon me. Uh, from now until at least the end of wheat harvest, uh, any given day, everything just drains. And this is one of those days. So if I sound stuffy or if you go to say something and I just kind of look at you funny, it's because it's it's really allergy related today and that's not like the tim hawkins joke about the kid in the the church nursery that has allergies and that's why he tried to stab somebody with a pair of scissors you know it's it's not that thing at all um, but it it was really hard to to jump into this series uh, with with what uh, tomorrow is, you know, in Memorial Day, uh, really almost felt guilty that that the the sermon is not geared more towards Memorial Day, uh, but <clears throat> it, if we start to look at this series through the right lens, though, and and begin to look at and and to see how God set up the family and how God intends for the family to operate in the world that we live in. I don't think there's actually a more fitting uh, series to jump into at this current time in history. And I'm, I'm actually almost to the point I'm excited it falls the day before Memorial Day because a lot of people have taken what was set aside as a military remembrance observance day and turned it into a, a good reason to look at their family history. And that's not a bad thing. If you don't know where you came from, there's a real high likelihood you don't know where you're going. And if you don't know where you're going, you're, you're kind of like a, a bullet's just fired off into space. It, you're going to hit something. It's just probably not the target you're aiming for. So uh, this series, we're just going to simply title it Family on Mission. Not Family on a Mission, because if, if you were just on a mission, you were going to complete it and you'll be done. And, and I'll give you a little spoiler alert here. <clears throat> if you're on mission and your family has been on mission then great-great-grandpa who passed away died while you were on mission. And there's a chance if you live to be a great-great-grandpa, if you get your family on mission and they stay on mission, you won't see the completion of the mission. And that's okay. Because we were never called to be off mission. And that's kind of hard for some of us to get a hold of because we're in Western society where we don't really fully understand what it is to be a family on mission. Because Western society tells us that we should raise our children until they're ready to leave the nest and then launch them out and good luck, hope for the best. I really thought about putting this picture of this poor duckling that is attempting to fly and you just it's on motivational pictures everywhere I'm like why would you do that to that poor animal you know it was it was knocked out of the nest and it's floating through space with no feathers 
it's still a fuzzy duck trying to fly and and I think sometimes that's the, the reality of who our kids are when we boot them out of the nest is they're fuzzy ducks that don't know how to fly but now you'll have that picture in your head you probably won't hear the rest of this at all but the most effective attack the devil has made on the church is the deconstruction of the family unit. Okay, if, if you want to go to the heart of the issue in Uvalde, Texas, it, it's not a gun issue. And I'm going to step on some toes here that like to toot the horn of it's a mental, it's a mental health issue. That's not the issue either. I'll slap you in the face with the truth this morning. The heart of the issue is that young man came from a deconstructed family unit. A family without a father in the home serving his role, his God-given identity role in the family leads to almost 100% of these mass shooting moments. You can trace it back. They grew up without a dad or with an absentee dad. Because I can tell you almost 100% of the time, if dad taught me how to respect and shoot a gun, I don't become a mass shooter. That's not a scriptural issue as much as it is just a literal fact. My dad taught me how to shoot a gun and how to respect a gun. I have guns in my home that are currently loaded. My children know where they are. My children know better than to touch them because they respect the gun. Because they had a dad in the home who taught them to respect the gun. The thing is, I'm teaching my children more than about respect for guns because fathers are the key figure of this role. And I'm sorry, guys, that it's going to feel like you get hit every week through this series. And, and I pray to God you do. Because when, when fathers are shaken up and awakened to their role and we step into who God's called us to be, the rest of the family will follow instinctively. You won't have to beg your wife to get on mission. You won't have to beg your children to get on mission because God designed men in such a way when they step into God-given leadership, people under them follow. People join hand in hand and get on mission with them. I'm telling you now that when we start to break down the family unit and teach it, as a family on mission, you're going to look at your spouse a little differently because it's not going to be arguments anymore. It's going to be, you know, we're devising a plan, sometimes intense moments of fellowship. <clears throat> That's a fancy church term for fighting. But intense moments of fellowship where we make sure that we as a family unit are on mission. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, this is God talking to Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And all the families of the earth in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay? Abraham is not perfect. Men in the room, I'm giving you the simple cop out. You're not perfect either. Now... <clears throat> My blood pressure may be perfect, but that's about all of me that's perfect. 
Uh, if you don't believe me, there were four nurses that are still trying to figure out how a guy with this many kids and teaching and coaching middle school kids has perfect blood pressure. <clears throat> and I told them because I'm Mary Poppins, I'm practically perfect in every way. And they, they didn't agree with that. And I don't really agree with it either. But as we start to look at families and we start to look back into what you know, some people call the classical family model. We're, we're gonna bring it more into a modern term and call it families that are on mission. We're gonna look back to some of the greatest families in the Bible and the first one that really stands out is the family of Abraham. Okay, Abraham, the thing that sets him apart from every other patriarch character of the Old Testament is that Abraham's righteousness, according to Hebrews, was credited to him because he simply had faith in God. He took God at his word and God said, you're a righteous man. And he took God at his word over and over and over again. We get to see that in the fact that he was willing to sacrifice the, the child of promise, Isaac. And, and God had already told him, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He gives him one kid and then he says, be willing to sacrifice him and give him back. How are you going to make me a father of many nations if you ask me to give up the one kid you gave me? That's some faith. Okay? Abraham still messes stuff up along the way and they get off mission a time or two. And, and, and that's not just him. He's a willing conspirator with his wife. Everybody likes to blame his wife, you know, for the whole Ishmael incident. It's not really her fault. You know, it takes two to tango. I'm just saying. Okay. If you don't know that, go back and read Genesis. There's a great story there. Uh, younger kids in the room, if you still don't understand, I talk to mom and dad. <clears throat> Pastor JJ is not going to give you all the insight to that unless mom and dad okay it. All right. The Western family, the model that we know and understand is very self-centered. It is, what am I getting from the family? What benefit do I have of being in our family? Is our family here to serve me, to make me comfortable? Okay, and this, this will hit the kids harder than everyone else because our whole society thinks we should just center our life around our children. Uh, that's garbage. That, that's absolute trash. You're supposed to train them up in the way that they should go. You're not supposed to put them on a pedestal and worship them. That, there's Old Testament fact for that in the Ten Commandments that we still, we like to throw them out because of grace, but the reality is they're still there. Okay, have no other gods before me. Don't make your children your God. If you're investing all of your time and your resources into your children, you're not getting the whole thing done. Okay, I'm not saying that to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm saying it to wake you up. Okay, kids, the world is not about you. It's not all about you. And Audrey's giving me a dirty look. Already, my own kid gave me a dirty look this morning. I figured somebody else's kid would take that shot, but no, no, my kid takes the shot. <clears throat> it's not what can the family do for me. The biblical model doesn't match this at all. Okay, and, and we'll get more into this next week because of this idea of, 
you know, I want to be proud of my family because my son is a doctor, my daughter is a lawyer. Look at these great offspring that I produced and they're out there, you know. I want my kids to be successful, but I don't want their definition of success being driven by their career. If that is their definition of success, I as a father have failed to show them the love of a heavenly father. And the definition of the heavenly father's version of success is knowing him and making him known. Knowing Jesus and making him known makes you successful. Everything else you do just pays the bills. Okay, if you want something to pay the bills really easy with not a, not a lot of work, good luck. Because I haven't found anybody that pays the bills without a little bit of work. They're probably out there and they're probably not doing godly things. In 2 Timothy, it describes this generation and this mindset. And this is a picture of America today because of how we have centered family around ourselves instead of giving and serving and, and pushing a mission as a family. In 2 Timothy, this is what Paul writes to Timothy. Godlessness in the last days. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Does anybody think the world we live in is kind of difficult right now? Uh, if you don't, go buy a tank of gas. Okay? <clears throat> For people will be lovers of self. That self-centered ideology. Lovers of money. Proud. Arrogant abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless. I can't think of a better word to describe what happened in Uvalde than heartless. Unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. How do you get to that for your society? And I'll tell you, the number one way to get there is to break apart the family unit. To where you're not operating as a team. And that may be where we shift this to, is, is starting to call us family teams. Because we understand what it is to be on a team. Almost to a person, everyone in here has been on a team at one point or another. It may not be it may not be a sports team. You may have been on an academic team. You may have been on a livestock judging team. You may be on a team at work. You know, <clears throat> we understand teams. How many of you ever view your family as a team? I did it until a few weeks ago, and I thought, man, I'm a horrible coach. I, not just in the, in the sporting world, but what if I begin to coach my team, dads? What if you begin to coach your team? And, and we'll talk about that in a couple weeks about being a good coach. But we understand that we're, we're on a team. You understand the, the, the classical model of what a family should be, and that is what can I do for the good of the family? What can I do for the good of the team? <clears throat> Jeff and I played on a team together. Nathan and I played on a team together. Scott was too old. He didn't get to play on a team with us. Okay? 
but the the lessons that I learned from playing on a team with, with guys who I considered much better basketball players than me is I still had value to the team. Uh, the, this is one of those weird things that's always stuck in my mind that I have a state championship ring for averaging less than two minutes a game. Less than two. And... And I, I never placed my value in my role on the team in my playing time. Because when I got on that floor for those two minutes, I was going to play as hard as I ever played in practice and was grateful that I got those two minutes because Jeff and those other guys finally put enough of a whooping on them that Coach Rundle let us in. And, and then every day in practice, I came into practice with the mindset, and, and this is – this is where, as a member of a team, not everybody can be the star. But everybody has a role. Every day in practice, my role was to make sure that Jeff, Nathan, you know, I could keep naming guys, that they were ready to go put up those big leads so I could have those two minutes. And there were probably days Jeff did not like me in practice, and that's okay. Because my job was not for him to like me. My job was to make him better. And, you know, all, all the accolades Jeff got, you know, I, I was in the background smiling because, you know, I remember days where I got the better of him in practice. Now, thinking about that as a family, what, what happens if everybody in the family looks at our life in this, this brief moment of time we're given by God as a mission that we're on together. Everybody in the family has value. Everybody in the family has a role or an identity. Okay, next week we're going to talk a lot about the identities of people in the family because so many people in our world today get into their their young adult years their college years and they struggle because they don't have a sense of identity or they get to midlife and they are in a crisis because they don't have an identity and and we'll i mean this is just an overview and an introduction we're going to get into a lot of fun stuff in the next few weeks if anybody comes back, they may be like, we're not coming back, you weirdo. Okay, the, the three main ideas of a classical model family, and you can go back and you can look uh, very specifically into the life of Abraham and you'll see these ideas uh, showing up in the way that Abraham's family uh, interacted with each other and the world around them. Uh, individual success is dependent on valuing the family team over yourself. Okay? Uh, I have no doubt Jeff would be an all-stater with or without me, but I will never take away my role in him being an all-stater because my job was to try and kick his tail every day, and, and most days it didn't work. Okay? He's, he was very good. Okay? But there were days, and man, I held on to those days. 
And the one day I tried to take off, and he's from this community, you'll appreciate this. The one day I tried to take it easy on Jeff, uh, I was held to a standard, which is another part of good family dynamic, holding to a standard. Uh, Trapper Heglin took my head off with a screen. And that, that's because Trapper was a little shorter than me. And instead of setting a screen, he threw the forearm into it and clotheslined me and proceeded to look down and point his finger at me and said, quit taking it easy today. You're not making us better. I didn't get screened the rest of the year. <clears throat> and I may have tripped Trapper a few times as he's crossing the lane, but anyway. Um, <clears throat> individual success is dependent on valuing the family team over yourself. The success of our family means more than my personal gain. Now, that, that's a hard one to choke down, and, and we'll cover it more next week for men because a lot of times we start to find our identity outside of the family in our job. Okay? That, there's a little preview for next week. I, our identity sometimes gets found in the wrong places, and that's why we have to get back on mission. Number two, family success is determined multi-generationally. This is a beautiful thing. I'm not trying to embarrass people. I wasn't trying to embarrass Jeff. I'm sure not trying to embarrass Dale, Scott, and Garrison. I was about to call you the wrong name, G. <laughs> That's going to be bad. But we look in a pew here and we get to see multi-generational in a pew. We get to see a dad, a son, and a grandson. Three generations sitting in a pew. One of these days, one of these days, I'm just saying this, it'll be dad, son, grandson, and great-grandson sitting right there. Because they understand success of their family is multi-generational. And I'm not discounting daughters because, and, and don't be getting ideas, young man. I'm just telling <clears throat> Dad can't see your face. I can. Okay. And we're like this. We're like this. I, I have the rights to marry and bury people. Okay. <clears throat> but something that is lost on our culture is the importance of the generations that came before us which is why I love that this landed on Memorial Day. Because where would we be without the men and women who gave their lives defending the ideas of freedom that we have? Where would we be? Where would we be if you, if you want to take it even farther back, back to the Civil War? Where would our society be today had men not gone to war to free other men? The, the soul of our nation really wasn't in the 1776 war. That was just the birth of our nation. But the soul of our nation was fought for in the 1800s. And, and if you go back just a little bit, I mean, we, we have a glimpse of it in our church. We have guys that are second and third generation farmers and ranchers that are, are carrying on a tradition of the family business. 
I did not take on the family business. I can still cook. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> I get to bless my wife a lot by being able to cook. But I don't want to run a restaurant. And I'll, I'll get into that some more later in the series, that, that that's not the mission that my parents had. That was just the job. And farming and ranching, while it is just the job, it's also a very biblically-based profession, and, and we'll get to that at the end of the day. But, you know, it, if, if you want to, just stare at a multi-generational pew here and understand that family success has to go from generation to generation to generation. It doesn't skip a generation. And number three, the primary task of the current generation is to faithfully steward, expand, and pass on the resources of the family to the next generation. Okay? The, get that. To steward, which means to take care of, take care of what the, the family has to expand it to build on it and make it one little bit better doesn't mean you have to to take some huge jump and you know suddenly you go to you know like a four sixes size ranch for the long ranch can you imagine how many people you have to employ for that many acres how many acres is four sixes thousands of acres i mean ridiculous <clears throat> You know, for you Yellowstone fans, just think about that. I've never seen an episode, so I can't tell you. I may be promoting something awful. I don't know. <laughs> but Big Ranch. You know, I, I have like a, what do we have, 120 acres? And I thought putting fence around it was torture. But, yeah. Expand and pass on the resources of the family to the next generation. That... You start to see yourself as a, as a placeholder in time. Uh, for this time in our generation, my job is to become head of household and to steward the resources to prepare my son to become the head of household. And, and to, for him to prepare his son to take on that role. And, and this is not a popular ideology. If you go into universities today, they will openly say the number one problem with American culture is patriarchy. And I, I sit there and I, I'm just looking at them like, are you stupid? The, the number one problem facing American society that's holding American society back is dads being dads? I mean, to quote the great philosopher Bill Cosby, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why would dads being dads be what's holding our nation back? What's holding our nation back is a rebellious generation that's grown up without fathers, that wants to do everything without rules, without limits, without structure, and they want to do it in the name of freedom. Late 60s, early 70s, same type of generation. And what did we get out of that? I studied too much history, I'm sorry. But 1 Kings 21.3. This is a, a quick look into a, a moment where Ahab, 
the, the political figure of his day, comes to Naboth and tries to buy a vineyard because he likes the way the vineyard looks. I'm going to come give you a bunch of money for this long-standing family piece of property. Okay, And, and if certain people stumble across this, uh, this wasn't directly aimed at you for trying to buy some of our family land, but there's a reason I won't sell it. And, and it's very simply scripturally found in Naboth's response to Ahab. The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Why, why is it so hard to buy generationally owned farming and ranching land? Because people understand it's part of the inheritance of their fathers. I... I hope that when I'm done in this life that it's not just my stuff that my kids inherit because I, as I mature and, and spend more time thinking about the, the blessing I had in a good godly dad that I have an inheritance to carry on and, and when I go out and I live my life am I selling or giving away part of that inheritance by acting foolish? Am I giving away the inheritance of my father in the way that I treat people instead of being a man with godly values who loves God and loves other people? God forbid, or the Lord forbid, that I should give you the inheritance of my father's. Okay, this is now my verse for how I approach my job. Does my job get the best of what I want my children to inherit of my character? Or do my kids get that at home? My best effort, is it for my boss and for my job? Or is it for my family? Lord forbid that I give my boss the inheritance of my fathers. Ouch. That hit me today. Uh, Jeremiah 6.16. We have heard this before. I was so glad that God brought it back around. Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. The, the modern way of doing family is not very restful, is it? I mean, how many of you, when, when, and this is aimed at men and women, when you come home from work, you walk into your house, it really feels like a restful place. I got five kids. I'll tell you, it's not the kid's fault that our house is not a restful place. It's my fault. Because, because I, I've neglected the ancient ways. You know, the, we're, we're as guilty as any American family of, hey, we're going to eat our dinner in front of the television. The ancient ways says... Eat that meal looking each other in the face and talk. 
just that one change to your family structure will start to bring peace into your house that you don't begin to understand. I'm not saying the mealtime is peaceful because it gets pretty crazy at our table. I mean, we still got people that like to wear their food more than they eat it, but it is more peaceful. And I'm not telling you we don't eat in front of the TV sometimes too, because we do. There, there are two versions of, of this story, and uh, I'm stealing from a, a guy named Jeremy Pryor. He's uh, written some of the best resources on building a family. And, and part, of, part of this is uh, the story of two sons. And, and one of them is a first century uh, Hebrew boy, and the other is like a modern-day 12-year-old living in Atlanta. Now, I really thought about being just awful to my kids and having, you know, not just my kids. I'd have brought somebody else's kid up here to be the, the modern-day kid, but dress my kid in, you know, first-century clothing, which Xavier would never get over. He'd be like, Dad, I can't believe you did that. But the... The first son is Yitzhak, son of Asa. Uh, this is bi his biography. He lives in the village of Tekoa, south of Jerusalem. He has six siblings, three older brothers, two older sisters, and one younger sister. His family owns 23 acres of olive trees and 35 acres of land planted with wheat, as well as 84 sheep and 14 goats. They own a family home in the village, as well as a variety of sheds on their land. They employ three full-time servants, two of whom assist with the household, and one who is an assistant foreman for projects. They employ anywhere between two and 20 seasonal employees, depending on harvest time and other peak seasons. All of Yitzhak's siblings live in his family home, including his older brother's wife and their two children, his great aunt, and his grandfather, who is a widower and a village elder, representing their family and serving the community. Okay, this is first century. It's not like they have a, a mansion to live in. Okay, all those people living in a house. Yitzhak, please describe your family. We are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's multi-generational from the tribe of Judah and the line of Jahab, who led our family into war against the Greeks 200 years ago before the Romans took over. Our families own 200 acres of olive trees, but we have slowly begun to sell our land to pay the heavy taxes put on us by the Romans. My father has asked me to learn a new trade for our family in case we lose the rest of our land. Well, who are your heroes? My biggest hero is Jahab we still have his sword and shield hanging in our home. And my grandfather tells us stories about him and other ancestors of our clan every Sabbath. What do you want to do when you get older? I'm hoping to learn the skill of blacksmithing and to sell my wares and services to help my family keep our land and eventually buy more of it back from a Roman centurion. What is your family hoping to accomplish this year? We're hoping to save enough from the harvest and from all the lambs that were born this year to buy back one of our acres and to add a room onto the house for when my second oldest brother is married. 
what would you like to accomplish this year? I'm learning ancient Hebrew from our rabbi and hope to honor my family by being able to read the Torah well at my bar mitzvah. My parents are also paying for me to learn some valuable skills from Joseph the blacksmith. And I hope to bring in twice as much this year as last year by repairing equipment for families in our village. What is your biggest hope? The Messiah would return and bring justice for my family and all of the suffering we endured under the Romans. I also hope that our home and land would be established forever and that our descendants will live in peace in the land. What is your biggest fear? That we would be forced to pay even higher taxes and sell the rest of our land and our family would have to hire themselves out to other families. If this happened, our name might disappear from the families of Israel. Okay, that, that is way, way different than any kid I've ever talked to today. How many of you at age 12 had to learn a new skill to support your family? And Titus back there trying to throw a hand up. He's like, me, dad, me. Not even 12 yet, Titus. But think about that. His biggest fear was that they would have to pay taxes and they would lose their land. They would lose the inheritance of their fathers and that their name would be removed or it might disappear from the families of Israel. Okay, just a, a little insight into that. If you go into Israel today and talk with the average family there, they can take their lineage all the way back to Abraham. They know their family history that well. How many of you can name your great, 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 great grandpa? Me neither. Okay. Now, I like to, you know, shove my ancestry all the way back to Abraham because Father Abraham had many sons. <laughs> and many sons had Father Abraham. According to the song, I'm one of them. <laughs> and so are you. <laughs> All right, let's look at the 12-year-old the, the Brad Johnson, okay? Here's his biography. He lives in a middle-class Christian home in the suburbs of Atlanta, 12 years old, has an eight-year-old sister. His dad works as a regional sales rep for Procter & Gamble. His mom works part-time teaching preschool. He goes to a middle school, and his grandparents on his dad's side live in Richmond, Virginia. His grandmother recently moved into an apartment near their home, where his mom can help care for her. Same questions come up. Please describe your family. My parents are nice, but a little strict. And my sister is totally annoying. My mom helps me with my homework and my dad coaches my little league team in the spring. Who are your heroes? Huh, I haven't thought about that before. I guess a few of the baseball players on the Braves are pretty good. What do you want to do when you get older? I'm not sure. I'll probably go to college and decide then. But I think I want to be a pro baseball player. What is your family hoping to accomplish this year? Uh, I think we want to go on another vacation to Florida this summer and maybe get a new car. What would you like to accomplish this year? I hope to be a pitcher on my baseball team this spring and to make more friends at school. And I really hope I get the new iPhone for Christmas. What's your biggest hope? that the Braves would make the World Series and that this cute girl at school will notice me. What's your biggest fear? 
that I won't have any friends at school and I will be treated like a nerd by the popular kids. How different, how different are these two kids because of the structure of the home they grow up in? And, and to be fair, we got thousands of years of technology difference, but is anything in Brad's world about making his family better? Not, not once does Brad look and say, this is what I bring to the table for my family. Yitzhak, the whole time, what's, what's coming out? The family. This is what I can do for the family. My biggest fears are centered around my family. My biggest dreams are centered around my family. What happens when, when we get that paradigm shift from... It's all about me to, it's about my family. Because the, the connection here I want you to get is it goes from being about me to being about my family allows us to understand that as children of God, we're part of a bigger family. What can I do for the family of God? What's my role in the family of God? What's my identity in the family of God? It's really hard to make that connection if we don't have family units that understand that. Genesis 1, verse 28, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In the very beginning when God made man, just the exact verses before this, he says, let us make man in our own image. And in the image of God, male and female, he created them. He, he creates us and then immediately he puts us on mission first part of the mission be fruitful and multiply it was never just meant to be a husband and wife that's a great part of the team it's the core foundational part of the team but it's not all there is so suddenly the empty nester ideology gets blown up are there seasons where everyone's out on mission and, and you're holding down the fort? Yeah. But it was never meant to just be you. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Fill it and then go conquer. What a fun thought. If that doesn't get you a little excited, I mean, you got some wet wood. You were called to go subdue it. You and John Deere, okay? You and whatever the name of your favorite horse is, because you had to subdue the horse first. If not, you're in for a ride. Uh, <clears throat> have dominion over the fish of the sea. Right there it is. Anyone going fishing this summer? It's dominion, okay? Over the birds of the air, fall is coming. 
Turkey season's already over, sorry. But dove season, the countdown is on. <clears throat> if it flies, it dies. Or fries, I'm not sure which. <laughs> but as we look at this, and we're going to close with this today, is God intended for families to be a unit that are on mission, that are pointing each other first and foremost to Him, and that every aspect of your life should be held to this standard. Is this going to enable my family a better opportunity to share the gospel? Is this going to benefit my family? Because if it doesn't, if it doesn't hold up to those two things, you have to really ask yourself, is what I'm doing worth it? Is this really worth all of, all of what I'm investing into it? And, and that's countercultural because the, the world tells you, YOLO, you only live once. You get, one, you get one shot at this thing. You need to go and do all you can do and enjoy all you can enjoy. And it's all about you, baby. It's your way right away. Burger King's coming to Woodward. <clears throat> I don't get any royalties for that, but there it is. That, that's our world. And that is completely countercultural to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is, is what I'm doing going to lead my family closer to the king of kings. Is what we do as a family reaching our world for the gospel? Or are we just doing a job with a smile on our face? Because that's the way you keep customers. In case nobody warned you. If you're happy and you know it, tell your face. Okay? So next week, we're going to start looking deeper into identities of the father, identity of the mother, of the children, and, and how... God designed each of us in a way to further the mission of filling the earth and subduing it. And if, if you ever think for a moment that, that Christianity is not about subduing the kingdom of this world by gaining territory for the kingdom of heaven, you've missed it. We are in a war versus the powers of this generation, the, the powers of this world, the devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you have a family on mission, you're still going to face attacks. You're going to face disappointments. You're going to face struggle. But you're going to find strength in numbers you didn't know you had. Because family on mission is the will of God. And as we've said back-to-back -back weeks leading up to this, if it's from God, it's unstoppable. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you that, that in your word we can, 
we can begin to examine our lives closer and and God it it allows your Holy Spirit to speak through your word to reveal to us who you made us to be Lord so that our our identity becomes further rooted in Jesus Christ and God that we can go out with confidence into a world that is completely against your design and against your truth Lord and we can go and, and confidently proclaim the gospel and we can love our neighbor like we love ourselves. we can bless those who curse us we can pray for those who despitefully use us because we've rooted ourselves in your word and we have the support and the structure of a team that is on mission. God, as we, we go our separate ways today and, and tomorrow has been set aside to remember the sacrifice of, of men and women who never got to take off their uniform. Lord, as, as the... As a speech in history goes down, they gave up their tomorrow so we could have today. God, I, I pray that we would find time to, to remember the blessings of freedom that they secured for us. And Lord, to, to remember that, that we're called to take that inheritance and expand it. Lord, thank you again for loving us. Thank you for your word. And God, I just pray that as we continue to unpack this, that, that Lord, you'll begin to change our hearts and our lives and, and help us to, to further dial in being on mission for you. God, we love you and we praise you and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.